Hey, welcome, Exponential Family. My name is Chad Clarkson. I serve as the director of the Houston Church Planting Network uh, here in Houston, Texas, and great, great to be with you today. Uh, my guest today is Matt Carter. Uh, you may be familiar with Matt. Matt is the founding or was the founding and lead pastor uh, up at Austin Stone in Austin, Texas, which I guess is now considered SEC country, which is, is kind of a little hard for, hard for me to swallow. Um, but Matt, uh, founding lead pastor there, uh, you're probably familiar with Austin Stone, author, uh, speaker, uh, has done just a lot of, gr- a lot of great things. Um, about a year ago, a little over a year ago in May of last year during our global pandemic, uh, Matt accepted a new role as the lead pastor at Sagemont Church, actually here in Houston, actually just down the road. We're probably about 15 minutes apart uh, here in greater Houston. So we're, uh, you know, he's an answer to prayer. Anytime we get new people here into Houston to help further the gospel, uh, as we've been praying for more workers, it's an answer to prayer. So we're excited about having him in the city as well as his leadership uh, at Sagemont. So we're excited to, to have you today, Matt. That's good to be here. Thank y'all so much for having me on. Yeah, our theme today, uh, as we kind of are on this theme of together, is together as a church. Uh, you know, living in togetherness is always a part of uh, following Jesus, right? It wasn't, it wasn't optional even for Jesus. Uh, it wasn't optional for those first disciples. It wasn't uh, optional for the first Christians, and it's not optional for us. In fact, uh, the church, God has designed the church uh, for us to be together, to experience rec- reconciliation both with him uh, and with others others. And so today, I think a lot, a lot of churches or a lot of church leaders, in fact, uh, can even tend to live in isolation, maybe even a part of, you know, talking about togetherness a lot, but often leading in isolation. But we definitely want to be part of uh, churches that uh, lead out in unity and practice uh, unity as as pastors and leaders. So our, our theme this year for Exponential, even in this season, is together, uh, the great collaboration. So, you know, we understand the Great Commission, Matthew 28, right? And we believe in the Great Commandment, Matt, Mark 12, I love God, love others. But lots of times we forget to kind of add that third component, uh, the great collaboration that we see in John 17. So that's the idea we're going to go <coughs> talk about today. You know, it's going, going in love, uh, but doing that together. So, Matt, I'm just going to interview you today, uh, throw out some questions your way. Uh, we'll have there's also a, a place for people to ask questions in the chat if anybody wants to chime in or has anything they want to follow up on. Uh, but, Matt, let me start with just unpack a little bit for for us, why you think it's important that we pursue Jesus's mission together alongside others? Yeah, one of the one of the things that's mentioned as a starting point, just biblically, of this idea of, of being on mission together and unity, and that sort of thing, is John seventeen. That's the high priestly prayer, and and that has always been it's always been a fascinating part of the Bible for me, um, and for a couple of reasons. Is one is we get to we get to read or hear this personal prayer that Jesus prays to the Father, right? He, if you go and read it and pay attention to it, he's praying out loud. And so there's a couple of reasons. One of two reasons why he did that. One is he was showing off, which we know that that couldn't have been it. He very specifically told us not to do that in prayer. But the other is that you know, what he was praying was so important that he wanted it to be heard. And, and so obviously there's something going on there in this high priestly prayer, prayer that he wanted people to hear and carry with them. And we'll talk about that in a second, but 
The other thing that's fascinating about it is that um, Jesus literally prays for us in John 17. You know, he makes the statement, he's praying for the disciples. He says, Lord, I thank you that you've given them to me. And then he makes this interesting statement. He said, I pray not only for them, but I'm praying for the ones that are going to come to know me through their word, which who is that? That's us. And that, that just blows my mind when I stop and think about it, that during Jesus three-year ministry here on earth, that he actually prayed for me. And so that's amazing. But here's sort of the answer to your question is why is it important that we pursue, you know, this mission uh, of Christ together? And it goes back to what he prayed for us. You know, he said, Father, I pray that they would be one. And everybody knows that, right? Jesus literally prayed for our unity. Um, but what he said after that, I think is key. <clears throat> he said, Father, I pray that they would be one. And by that, the world would know that you sent me. Mm-hmm. And so think about that. He's praying for us. He's praying for our unity, praying that we'd be together and unified. And he says, by that oneness and by that unity, the world, lost people, are going to know that we belong to Christ and are going to see Christ's message and respond to Christ's message. And so, man, it's so important because Jesus seems to be saying there is a direct connection between our unity and our ability to fulfill the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a, a direct connection um, between our oneness and our ability to reach the world with the message of Christ. And so, my goodness, um, I don't think we think about that often. I think it's a verse that we often talk about that, hey, Jesus wanted us to be one, but we don't often connect it to the success of the mission of the church. Yeah, that's that's great. And that's I mean, as we think about, you know, here here in Houston, you know, building unity, um, it's not just for the sake of unity. I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's going back to it's because of mission. We're united because it makes our mission as a church more effective. There's something almost supernatural that the spirit's doing when the when the church is united that, you know, people get to experience uh, God not only to know that he sent, but that he loves them, too. So that's yeah, that's a great passage. I remember reading something. I think Francis Schaeffer said about this passage. He said, or he said, the greatest apologetic for evangelism is the oneness of Christians. That's uh, it. So when, I, when I think about that, it's like, man, that's that's powerful. So I'm going to work towards that uh, being unified uh, because it's going to make our our mission more effective. Uh, let me follow up to that. When we think about um this idea of being together as a church and, and how to build unity in a local church, you know, why, why do you think it's important? Why is it important for specifically or especially for pastors to prioritize this and think about, think about this, uh, making unity a priority? Yeah. When you guys um, <clears throat> sent me these questions and I, I, I've never actually thought about that connection between I've thought about the connection between our oneness and unity and the ability of the mission, but I've never really thought about the connection of our unity in the church and the church's ability to fulfill its mission. And so I think the answer to the question goes back to exactly what we just said. If there's a direct connection between our unity and the ability of the church to reach the world with the message of Christ, then there's got to be a direct connection between our disunity and our inability to reach the world with the message of Christ. And so in a very real sense, a non-unified church is an ineffective church. Hmm. You know, a non-unified church is in many ways an impotent church. And so we talk a lot about, you know, even in exponential, we talk a lot about church growth. 
and more importantly, we talk about church health. But I wonder, um, as pastors, when when we're evaluating in what ways do we approve the effectiveness of our church, are we thinking about unity? I would venture to guess that we're not. You know, if you were to sit down and and survey a thousand pastors and say, what are the most important things for church growth and church health? What would we say? I mean, what would we talk about? We'd start talking about worship. We'd start Mm -hmm. talking about preaching. We'd start talking about student ministry. We'd start talking about missional communities and small group life. And and we'd even talk about discipleship. But I don't know that that this idea of being unified as a church and unified as a body of believers would make the top five list. But when you really look at the text and you look at what Jesus is saying in John 17, it was really high on his list. And so I think the answer to the question is Jesus made it a preeminent importance for church health and growth and effectiveness. And I think we need, need to also. Yeah, that that's, that's really good. You know, as you were saying, we're, I mean, yeah, even in our strategy meetings at, at, at our churches, right? We're talking about, all right, how was the message? How was the service? Uh, how are small groups going? But, you know, how often have we had a, that discussion about, all right, how, how is unity, you know, going on in our church? You know, how- I, I we, never have. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, and well, and you think about this season that we've been in, um, really the last 18 months and talk about like the perfect storm for disunity in the church, right? You've got the COVID situation, you've got the racial conflict and unrest, you've got the election that's passed, but still, you know, very much a source of conflict uh, in this country. And so, I mean, the enemy, I'm sure, is using all that uh, to try to stir up disunity in a church. And, you know, how much more do we just need to spend time concentrating and focusing on and really think of praying through how we're being united as a church? Man, and you think about, um, you, a lot of guys have probably heard the stats that so many pastors are, are being fired or losing the jobs or walking away from ministry. Mm-hmm. And man, true story this week, it's Wednesday. And this week alone, I've talked to two pastors, uh, one that uh, resigned and one that was fired. Mm-hmm. And, and in both situations, it either went back to something to do with uh, the, uh, the COVID situation, the pandemic, or the other one was, was a political situation. And so you think about, man, how is the enemy going to attack us? And more importantly, how is he attacking us? And the way he's doing it is he's attacking us through all these areas of disunity and he's getting our eyes off the most important thing, which is the mission of God and what we yeah. do have unity in, in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Uh, Matt, I'll, I'll give this question to you. We had one come in uh, on the chat. Um, <laughs> since you're in the seat of a lead pastor, uh, it says, how important do you think the lead pastor's role is in church unity? Does everything rise and fall on the leader or are there some disunity situations that are too big for any one person? I don't think it rises and falls on the leader, but I think you definitely set the pace. Um, you know, we lead from the pulpit. Um, we lead in the culture of our staff and, and that is going to bleed out maybe more than anything else. Um, and what we're doing, you know, there, there's disunity in our churches. It's, it's happening right now. And so I think you can either add fuel to that fire as a lead pastor or, or you can, you can bring peace to that. I, I literally, I preach verse by verse through um, the Bible. I'm one of those expository guys and, and I'm preaching right now through first Peter. 
And, and Peter is, is, is writing to these people that are suffering, they're experiencing persecution, there's all this horrible stuff that's happening. And he gets to this place in, in 1 Peter 4, where he makes a statement, he said, look, the end is at hand, the end of all things are at hand. And he's talking about the, the, the history of the redemption of God for his people. He's like, we're in the final stages mm-hmm. of that thing. And then he, he, he says, be sober-minded be self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. Right. And so this idea is, look, don't flip out. Don't be afraid. Don't freak out. He says, you need to be able to be people of prayer. And then he makes an interesting statement. He says, but above all, love one another earnestly, love one another earnestly for, for love covers a multitude of sins. And the whole concept is when you look at those two words, um, love one another earnestly because love co- covers a multitude of sins. When you look at that, I think there's a verse in Proverbs uh, 10 that says um, hatred stirs up strife, um, but love covers a multitude of sins. And so this idea of stirring up or covering, those are the two words, stirring up and covering. And so as a lead pastor, you're doing one of those two things. Hmm. You're either stirring things up and pastors do it. Make no mistake. You're either stirring things up. Or, or you're covering, which means to calm and to cool. And so I think, I don't know that rises and falls on the lead pastor, but um, you definitely have an impact on it. And so we need to be one of these uh, pastors that is leading the way and covering a multitude of sins by loving each other earnestly and calling our people to it. Yeah, I like that. That's great. That's, that's really good. I appreciate that, Matt. Uh, n- another question here as we move kind of from theory to practice, uh, what are some, what are some, maybe some next steps that can help us do that very thing, move from theory to practice uh, around this idea of togetherness and unity? Yeah. Um, I think there's a couple of things. Um, one is, as I start with my staff and, and start with my leaders and I have, um, done everything I can over the last year for us to be unified on the issues that are bringing division as much as we can. I've been trying to, for us to have a unified picture, unified front of where we stand as a church, but I don't think that's the most important thing. I think if I were to pin down what I think is the most important thing on steps to improving unity, this is going to seem really straightforward, but I'm just not sure if we're doing it. I think pastors need to bring back the great commission as one of the primary focuses of the church. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the primary, and you said this earlier, one of the primary things that fosters unity is when people are unified around a mission, right? It's really hard to hate each other. <laughs> it's really hard to focus on petty differences where you're, you're in the same foxhole together, fighting the same battle. And yet when we're, focused on church programs and buildings and, and meeting the felt needs of, of our believers. And that is really the primary thing of what we're doing. I think that breeds a consumer mentality. And when our church begins to have that consumer mentality, I think it's easy to get our eyes off of what unites us and begin to focus on what divides us. And so I really do think that it sounds so simple. We need to be about the Great Commission, but so many churches aren't. Yeah. And when, when we're on mission together and we're fired up from that mission and we're trying to change the world for the name and the purpose of Jesus Christ, that will unite us around that mission. And so I think that's one. Um, and this is a big one and this is a tough one, um, but I think it's needed. And I think that pastors 
And leaders need to do a better job of teaching people that our primary identity, our primary identity is not in a political party or it's not in a set of ideologies, but it's what's in, but it's in Jesus. And, um, you know, I would imagine that a lot of folks in exponential that run in those circles or in that tribe are probably doing that well, but I think people would be shocked at, at how rare that is. And, um, you know, teaching our people, um, and a lot of folks, I think, are scared to do this. I know at times I've been scared to do this, but to teach our people that before we're Republicans or Democrats, we're followers of Jesus. No. That before we're black, for white, we are followers of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we have differences. And of course, we have things that have to be dealt with and have to be worked through. But there's a difference when we can approach um, those things that are potentially disunifying through the unity that we have in, in Jesus. And so I, I think those are probably my, my primary things I would encourage folks to do step towards unity. Pull up another uh, question from the chat. Um, kind of previously, kind of what you were saying, it says, you mentioned peace as a solution. Is it the idea of peace or love that brings unity or is it the mission or there are a lot of things? I think it's the mission. Yeah. Um, you know, go do a World War II illustration here for a second. So some, a lot of, a lot of guys out there and folks out there have seen the, um, the show Band of Brothers that um, HBO did back in the year 2000. And I think it was the year 2000, something around there. But anyway, I read the book and uh, it was about the, uh, the 101st Airborne Division. And one of the things that was fascinating is that Here's this group of guys that when you really look at what they accomplished in World War II, in many ways, they changed the world. They were one of the most successful units in the history of World War II. They followed all the way from Normandy, all the, all the way to Hitler's Eagle's Nest and just did a, an amazing amount of good towards the moving of that war towards victory. And you look at these men that were in this unit and um, you have men in there that, um, were Christians and Jews that were best friends. You had guys that were from New York and that were from Texas that were best friends. You have guys that are from, uh, that are, were, were very wealthy. And you have guys that came out of just abject poverty that were best friends. And you ask the question, what in the world was occurring and what happened that made all those differences go out the window and you have this unified group of men that changed the world together. And the answer was they were on mission. Mission unifies people unlike anything else. And so it's kind of what I went back and said, I hate to keep using military illustrations. I apologize. But when, when you're in a battle with somebody and they're on your side and, and that battle is the most important thing that you're doing, then what that person believes about a vaccine is going to be a little less important. Mm-hmm. What a person thinks politically is going to be less important because for crying out loud, we're in a fight um, for our lives and for the eternities of men and women. And that will bring you together. And because you've been in that battle together, because you fought those battles together, you can sit down and you can have a civil conversation with each other about your differences. And it's not going to tear you apart. Yeah, no, I'm just, both my grandfathers saw a lot of active combat in World War II. And I remember even to the end of their lives, there was something about their army buddies. 
that they did mission that just, I mean, they were their best friends for decades because of that. And, you know, I think we've played on sports teams, probably a lot of people watching today have been in sports teams. There's something about when you're on mission together. I just had my 30th class reunion and who did I hang out with my basketball teammates That's you know, right. we were together, wanted to be together again. So um, there's something about being on a mission together and uh, the church being, you know, the most, uh, most important mission. And let me, let me look for a couple more questions here. And I think, you know, I did have something pop in. Do you remember what you guys used to say? And I maybe, I hope I'm not taking this as a tangent and you're going to be like, what the heck is he talking about? But something you had, you had a saying, even at Austin Stone with your groups, like something about we're not a mission on community, but yeah, yeah. When that, you, what that was when you, um, man, that's impressive that you remember that. I'm glad yeah, I just popped in. So I remember that from a while ago. Yeah. So when you aim for community, was the, yes, when you aim for community, you get neither mission nor community. But when you aim for mission, you get both community and mission. That's it. And that and the idea is what builds community and so or what builds unity. And it is a mission. And so now it's again, how do we do that? Let's stop focusing on our programs. Let's start focusing on folks, stop focusing on church growth strategies and get people fired up for the mission that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, gave us. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, it's not all of a sudden our problems are going to go away, but it gives us this common ground in which we can work through our differences and our problems. Yeah, that's good. Um, so a lot of people are probably nodding their heads. Yeah, I agree. You know, we, we should pursue unity. Um, but often, inevitably, uh, things are going to derail, derail the, our plans with that. You know, why, what do you think? Uh, if we pivot the conversation a little bit, what are some of the top barriers to unity maybe that you've seen or uh, in regards to trying to us to build togetherness in our churches? Are you talking specifically in the context of like the, the local church or the big C church or? Yeah, I think, you know, I was, I was thinking about that. Let's think local church right now. I'm sure there's, there's probably some overlap. Some things we see in the local church is probably the big C is church. But if you're just putting it in the context of, you know, Sagemont or your experience at Austin Stone, uh, what, what are some of the barriers you've seen or would you know, I, even after made that caveat, I really do think it's the same thing. Yeah. I think, I think in a lot of ways, and this is, I'm just pulling stuff out of the air here, but I think social media has played a really interesting role in this whole thing. Uh, one is that we have access to people that disagree with us, maybe more so than any time in history. I mean, if you even think about it, you have a tendency to be around folks and that agree with you for the most part. But now all of a sudden you have all these differing opinions and views. So people have access to you. Okay. And so that's one thing I think we're, we've always been disunified, but now we're a lot more aware of it. But one of the things that I'm seeing, is that, and I'm learning this in life, and this is a huge thing I'm learning in life, but I don't think we're talking to each other enough. Mm. I don't, and, I, and more importantly, I don't think we're listening to each other enough. Because, mm. bro, check this out. Like, I have gone out of my way over the last decade to find godly men and women that I disagree with on a certain subject, right? And when you're just looking at their, mm-hmm. their snapshots on social media and you think I completely vehemently disagree with that statement, if I know them 
And even times when I didn't know him, instead of just blowing them up and throwing a Bible verse at them or whatever, I, I've learned to ask them, why do you believe that? Where, like, help me understand where you're coming from. And I've been shocked at how many times when I have a one-on-one conversation with somebody, <clears throat> how we walk away from that. I don't always walk away agreeing with them, but I walk away understanding where they're coming from better. Mm. And so it is so much harder to demonize somebody because you disagree with them mm-hmm. when you at least know their heart and where they're coming from. And I've been shocked at how many things that I just vehemently disagreed with. But then when I heard someone's heart, I heard where they're coming from. I'm like, man, that makes sense. Mm. What? They're not some horrible, evil person, but they have a perspective that I wasn't even aware of. Mm. And I don't care what the subject is. Um, l- learn to listen first. Most people are good folks and yeah. they're decent people. And so I think the biggest barrier I'm seeing, and, and even in the church, you know, there was a, <clears throat> there was a, a situation that happened not too long ago at my church where I think it was one of the, one of the police shootings and, 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 and one of my one of the folks in my church was posting something that was actually pretty benign about the shootings. Just say, hey, let's pray for them. And then these other people in the church kind of come at them and, hey, you're you're bringing in whatever to the church. And and, and they're just going back and forth over social media. I made them meet. <laughs> and then when they 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 met there, they were quickly were willing to get to a place where they hurt each other. And they brought unity into that situation and healing. And so I think, honestly, I think that's the biggest issue with what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. You pick, I picture the, the picture of almost like two dogs between a fence, just barking, yapping at each other. But when the fence gets open, it's like, all right, the barking, barking stops. We're, yeah. we're, yeah, we're good. Um, and I wonder, often wonder if like, even our like maybe theological differences or doctrinal differences or other differences we may have, it's not, that's not what causes disunity, but it's that lack of love. It's a lack yeah. of understanding, lack of lit, like you said, lack of listening that if we would, you know, sit down and have that cup of coffee and just, all right, I'm just talking to you as a friend, um, how that would help solve some of our disunity problems. No question. Yeah. Um, any other barriers come to mind? I mean, that's a great one. Did you have any others? Like if that's one, Hey, here's two, three, four, or. or any related to the global, like a kind of, yeah. I mean, and for me, I was, I'm just thinking when you look at whatever situation that we're dealing with, whether it's the political stuff, um, you know, the candidates, the, I'll give you an example. I I don't, I really don't have another that, that, that comes to mind, but I can give you some specific examples. You know, you see the, you see the stuff that comes out about, you know, all people that voted for Trump are white supremacists, right? Whatever. It's this, and 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 yet when you go and you 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 speak to someone that voted for Trump, you realize it's much more nuanced than that. That, that sometimes they held their nose and they did it, and here's why. And there's these really valid reasons why they did it. You know, you get something that's as as a hot topic as reparations. You know, um, for for the African American community, and people just get online and they start hacking it and going crazy. But then when you sit down and talk to somebody that actually has thought through it and they give you some reasons why, and, and you go, okay, that, that makes sense. I really do think it's the root of it is um, we are talking past each other 
Mm-hmm. Um, we're not taking the time to look at the nuanced uh, differences that we have. And so I think that's just a, um, a, I'm trying to think of any other barrier to, to unity, but nothing's just coming right to my no, mind. Yeah, right no, now, so. I think you, I think you hit the big one there. Um, let me pull a couple more questions from the chat. Uh, here's one kind of a, maybe a little bit of a theological question for you, but wasn't the unity of Christ's prayer fulfilled at Pentecost? Our unity extends to the gospel of Jesus. It also ends to a certain degree at the gospel of Jesus, doesn't it? Question mark. Jesus' prayer is not waiting to be answered as much as it is waiting to be recognized, reminded, and embraced. Um, I think that's probably fair. You know, I mean, um, I, I would have to look at it, but I, I don't have any um, issues with that. I think the, the statement is that haven't been answered yet, or is it waiting to be reminded? I, I, you know, I haven't studied it at length, but that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, let me give you one more uh, from the chat. Um, it says there is always a lack of unity on certain subjects in the church. When does disunity become destructive versus normative? Given the various stages of maturity, I think that maybe spiritual maturity. Are we talking about a mature believer or a new believer versus maybe two b- mature believers? with political disunity. Um, unless we identify this, citing disunity is not helpful. Any thoughts on that question? So help me understand the question. Like, it, Yeah, I was, hoping you, I, was, I was hoping you can understand it from what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to process it as well here. Um, it's just saying, look, we can talk about disunity all day long, but like, when does it become, you know, destructive? Yeah, that's, that's, how, I'm, that's how I'm reading it. I mean... It, I think there is a, a certain amount of, of disunity. He's right. There's a certain amount of disunity that's in every church right now. Yeah. I think it becomes destructive when, when the church starts being ripped apart and when people start getting wounded and traumatized because we're not loving each other well. Now, listen, loving each other does not mean you agree. Mm-hmm. Um, loving each other means disagreeing in a Christ-like way. And so it becomes destructive when we can't sit down and have a conversation and do it in a way that shows each other respect and love and, and as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And so, man, I, I disagree. Um, I, you know, I, I was a pastor at the Austin for 18 years. I disagreed with um, one of my pastor's stances on divorce. Um, that wasn't something we were going to break fellowship over. And we sat down and in a godly way as friends sat down and talked about those differences, <coughs> found a common ground. Um, and there are times, I think, that there is godly disunity in the sense that if there is someone that has a, is taking a theological stance that is contrary to what we believe to be orthodoxy and, and truth, then disunity is a good thing. Um, but I, I think where it becomes destructive when we're choosing to break fellowship over things that could easily be walked through if we loved each other well. Yeah. Yeah. And if I can, I'd probably just add a little bit. It's like, I think it becomes destructive. Like when we take it outside of the church and I think social media, um, you know, it's, you could, you could see two people, you know, go, like you were talking about earlier, going at it on social media. And, and here it is, it's not just a church issue. All of a sudden it's opened it up to, you know, who knows how many people are now in on that conversation. And if it's like, I mean, that's not help. That's not helping our John 17 witness as a church. Hey, let's, can we talk about that for a second? Go. We got time? Go, I, was, yeah. I actually thought about this this morning. Hey, look, 
don't email me. I'm not trying to make a point here. I'm just like legitimately asking this question. And, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> so I've been listening to the, to the Mars Hill, um, yeah. rise and fall of Mars Hill. Of and man, it's fascinating. And I actually had a dinner with Mark Driscoll one time, just me and him. And it was fascinating. This guy was interesting. He was an interesting cat. Um, but here's the question. This is legit a question I have. I'll ask you or anybody else that wants to okay. throw in. You made the statement that it becomes destructive when we bring it outside the church. At what point is something like that gossip? That's a legit question I have that I'm trying to get my brain around because there's obviously some really good things. Everybody hear me. Some good things that need to be exposed. Yeah. Um, that need to be brought to light so that we don't do them again. And so that we learn from the mistakes of our past and we build a better foundation. But there's some things on there that I'm like, man, this is, these are some guys that are just talking poorly about another dude. And so I really, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Like, like what is gossip? Mm. There's the Bible says not to do it. So what is it? And is this it? Yeah. You're talking about the whole podcast, right? Like, yeah. And bringing and fighting on social media, uh, talking about someone on social media outside the church, that sort of thing. I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely a big one. I mean, I've, I've thought that listening to, I think he, he makes the point. I forget who does. I feel like the podcast is well done overall. I feel like they do. Oh, it's really, excellent. It's yeah, excellent. Really, really good job with it. But there have been some times I'm like, I know they want to, I think they even kind of spell this out. Hey, we're going to, we want to make this kind of keep the bigger church, big C church on alert, you know, look at your own church, look at your own life, things like that. But yeah, there were a few times it's like, all right, we need to say, what point does it, does it cross a line as far as Hey, do we really, how is this helpful for the mission of the church? And so I'm not probably talking around that question. Cause I don't want to answer it. Cause it's no, recorded, but I know what you're, I know what you're saying. And I, but to, to answer the, the guy's question, I think, I think we could avoid some of that yeah. by, by being a little more intentional about interpersonally talking to one another. Mm-hmm. I see people fight on social media all the time that they don't know each other, but I know both of them. Yeah. And I know for a fact that they would like each other if they got in a room together. I, yeah. Same thing. I've seen. <laughs> yes. I know what you're, I know what you're saying. So, um, you want to, you want to talk anything else on that or no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good podcast. Though. Not on a recording. All right. No, that's good. Uh, another question just popped in. We got it. Uh, we got about 15 minutes left here, but, um, do you think that the current level of disunity in the church? And again, I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure if this is disunity between churches or within the church, but disunity in the church is symptom- symptomatic of churches giving themselves to seekers versus feeding believers and sending them out to reach their friends, coworkers, and family members. All right. Read that one more time. Okay. I think it's probably within the local church, but do you think that the current level of disunity in a local church is symptomatic of churches giving themselves to seekers versus teaching and feeding believers and sending them out to reach their friends, coworkers. And yeah, that's a really good question. And it goes back. I, I, I think it does. Now, look, I'm not, I, I don't think there's a direct correlation. I really don't, but I think there could be, I, there could be some um, correlation there because it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Um, the seeker friendly movement 
did an amazing thing in that it, it turned the church's eyes to lost people. And so the Lord used that in a powerful, powerful way. Um, but what it, I think, subtly taught um, is that people are the center, not, not Jesus, is that people are the aim and not the supremacy of the, of the name of Christ. And so when people are the center and not Christ as the center, it breeds a consumer mentality and, uh, and consumer mentality breeds discontent and discontent breeds disunity. And so whether as if we're, we are, are, are feeding and teaching people and pointing them to the person of Christ, then ideally, and I think by the spirit, they're going to be uh, brought together in unity. Mm-hmm. Let me give a couple more questions here. Um, so exponential, right? All about multiplication. So there's always a multiplication uh, question. And so the question is, what opportunities are you seeing for co- kingdom multiplication in your context? And even yeah. I think, it, yeah, you, I, you can answer that. And I may have, ask a couple follow-ups to that. Well, you're a good guy to talk to about this. And, and the answer to the question is, is um, for me, it's, it's the city of Houston is just ripe uh, for the gospel and for kingdom multiplication. Um, I read an article the other day that within a couple of years, it's supposed to pass uh, Chicago mm-hmm. as the number three largest city in the country, which is crazy when you think about it. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most diverse cities in the United States of America. And so, I mean, literally the world is coming to Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. And so people are always asking me, Matt, why'd you leave the, the Austin Stone? Why'd you leave Austin, which is, you know, maybe the coolest city in the world and, yeah. and go to Houston, which is a neat place to live. But I don't know if I can call it cool or not. Yeah, um, It really is one of the main reasons what I just told you. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, uh, it's going to be one of the most influential cities in the country at reaching the nations, but doing it right here in the great state of Texas. And so um, the answer to the question is there's unlimited opportunities for kingdom advancement uh, here. Yeah, no, I I hear you. Um, And even, I mean, you said something earlier, I was thinking um, one of the things I spent earlier in the year uh, doing just in my role with HCPN is trying to connect with a lot of pastors outside of Houston. I mean, not outside of Houston, in inside of Houston and one kind of checking up how they're doing, you know, coming out of, 2020, uh, but then kind of get kind of the pulse on the church as far as, all right, you know, because these are churches that have a heart for church planning. And it, was, it wasn't probably disheartening, maybe a little disheartening, but a lot of my conversations, it was like, you know what, I haven't I haven't had really a chance to think about multiplication because I've been so focused on, are we going to maybe make it as a church or just so many issues going on uh, internally? So trying to help kind of ring that bell, hey, whether it's Houston or whatever city, you know, how do we kind of turn back towards our focus uh, and not away from what's happening inside the church, but make sure we're also seeing that lane of, all right, we want to be you know, kingdom, kingdom multipliers. Well, there's, can I jump in? There's, there's yeah, no. one little nuts and bolts thing that some people may, most people may have already heard. I don't know, but I was reading an article the other day about William Vanderblumen that's showing that one of the positive missional aspects of the, of the pandemic is that everybody uh, went online and everybody now has, has got this online service and most churches have kept them. And that interestingly has become the front door of the church. Whereas before somebody might get on your website and read it, or maybe they'll come to your church and visit, but now they are, they're going and they're checking out your church um, on the online experience. And we're hearing that a lot. Um, 
from people that are visiting Sagemont and not all of them are from other churches. And so I think it's a missional opportunity that the Lord um, used a really negative, bad thing to open up some doors for us. And so that's one thing we're really looking into is how do we use that venue to reach more people? Hmm. Yeah, really good. And I'll add one other thing on the multiplication front. Uh, I appreciate what you were saying earlier about, you know, it goes back to unity in the city, like it, back to John 17, you know, is some of our, if, if multiplication is not happening in the city, do we need to look back at, all right, is there disunity in the city? You know, is that affecting our multiplication and, and togetherness in the city and the mission of God? So just something to reflect on. Yeah. I, I, you know, one thing I have seen uh, when, when it comes to the pandemic and, and you've probably seen this too, is that while I believe there's a lot of disunity in the local church because of, of the pandemic, there seems to be a greater unity among pastors because of the pandemic. I've seen so yeah. many pastors that were kind of going, Hey man, we're in this together. Can we talk? Can we, you know, and there's, and so guys that were are making relationships that maybe never would have before. And so I think that that's also one positive way that the Lord is using this is bringing pastors together. We're seeing it in the city of Houston. It's a cool thing. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, another question on the, ch- in the chat, uh, it says, when do we rebuke in public from Galatians two? I think it's uh, when Paul opposes see Peter there. Well, I think it would go back to what is, what is public, you know? Um, I, I'd have to, to read specifically what he's talking about. But, um, I mean, that's the question. I really, it it goes back to what is public rebuke and, and, and there, there obviously is a biblical, uh, mandate for church discipline. And there are instances where you see public rebuke in the scripture, but then there's also the side of that, um, the scripture also forbids gossip. And so it, for me, it was more of a personal question. I wasn't trying to make a point. I really wouldn't. Maybe things like that podcast are great. Maybe we do need to publicly rebuke um, guys that are in that situation. I'm just curious as, uh, of how that, um, how that plays out. How do we be godly? How does that affect um, unity? How do lost people, if Jesus said that he prays that we're one for by that people know that we belong to the father Mm-hmm. then what are the examples of disunity that the lost world's going to see and be turned off by it? Mm-hmm. We, get, we, I think we've got to answer that question. We're so concerned with rebuking things that publicly that we disagree with, that the lost world is seeing that and being turned off because of the disunity. So there's got to be a balance there, I think of how do we be faithful to the scriptures and faithful to theology and faithful to stand for what's right. But at the same time, not air our dirty laundry out so much that people are like, I I, want to have no part of this. I don't know the answer. Yeah. All right, Matt, I got one more question for you. Um, it's, uh, so you are part of our speaking lineup, uh, for the exponential Houston regional. And the, again, the theme for that is, uh, together. Um, what is, and I'm sure you have your talk all written already, right. probably, you know, it's, it's already completed rehearsed since we're a couple months out, but what's just in general, what's one thing do you think, are you going to hope that leaders are going to take away 
uh, from your conversation with them at the Exponential Regional? Well, I'm going to go to the Bible where it talks about um, how Paul rebukes Peter, and we're going to unpack whether, where it's okay to gossip or not. No, I'm joking. I, I Man, I just, I really, I think that I, I haven't written the sermon yet, but I think if I had the opportunity to speak on this subject to a group of people, I just want to call people back to the preeminence of the mission of Christ in the local church and letting that be a foundation for which we're able to communicate with one another in a way that exhibits the fruit of the spirit and Christ-like love so that we can move towards unity like the scripture commands us to do. I look forward to it, Matt, and excited to have you uh, here at Clear Creek. Uh, that'll be October 26th and 27th is the Exponential uh, Regional uh, here in Houston. Uh, you can see Matt's one of our speakers along with uh, a group of others. So we're really excited about the time and we'd love for you to enjoy join us here in Houston. Uh, but if you can't make Houston, there's a, there's multiple other uh regional events happening around the country as well. So you can check out the Exponential uh, website for more information on how to register. Uh, again, thanks for joining us today, Matt. Appreciate the time. And again, Exponential family, uh, we continue to pray for you and uh, pray that we would be United Church uh, in this mission together. So thanks for joining us and have a great day.